The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. The Passover of the Jewish people was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, but you will raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered all that he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So we all have different strengths, and making deals is not one of mine. If you see me come up to you with a kind of sheepish smile, I might then ask you to serve on the church council, or tell you the Holy Spirit revealed to me that you should chair the fundraising committee. <laughs> now I've been a pastor long enough to have fun trying to sweeten the deal in those situations. But I'm also more than okay with a flat no. But negotiating the price of a car with a dealer, I'd rather eat worms. Just, just tell me the price and I'll either pay it or not. But that's not the way deals work, right? And I didn't write The Art of the Deal. And I'm not the President of the United States. Well, there's some, shall we say, temple deal-making going on in today's gospel. Animals were sold for the temple sacrifice. Think of it as a currency exchange. Roman money changed into Jewish money to pay the temple tax. A transaction. Yet to Jesus, it was a raucous scene making the house of God into a marketplace. And here more than any other place in the scriptures, Jesus, our Lord, gets peeved. Jesus gets peeved. And that's seen through 
the decades or centuries recently has led some churches to wonder, wow, should we not even have bingo or raffle or rummage sales in the church? We all know, though, in this virtual technological age, how religion, like everything else, is commodified. That's beside the point, though, today. On the other hand, those of us with righteous anger these days that all the things in the world that just get to us. We love this Jesus who isn't meek and who isn't mild. It fuels our justice on behalf of the poor, on behalf of the oppressed, on behalf of the earth. Especially in this gospel, if Jesus is angry at the raw deals made by money changers who cheat the needy. Yet things in this passage become interesting when Jesus starts comparing the temple to his body. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. The thing is, for John's gospel, at the end of the first century, Jesus is the real deal. The locus of the Holy of Holies has moved from holy place to holy person. And now Jesus is the temple dwelling in the midst of the holy people dwelling in the midst of us. Okay, well and good. Jesus is good news for the world. No need for the temple anymore. No more cutting a deal with God. No more quid pro quo. Because, well, that's the old way, right? That's, well, that's the Old Testament. That's the old covenant. That's the old sealing of a deal through works righteousness. Hmm. As enlightened as this congregation thinks they are, and I think I am, and as progressive, back in the recesses of our mind are the things we heard in sermons and learned in Sunday school that were, let's just say it plainly, anti-Jewish. Maybe not intended, maybe subtle. So here's the story that I learned recently. I remember, or remembered recently, that I was a part of. I remember discussing other religions with a pretty open-minded young man, a person that could have even been a member of this congregation. He mentioned that we, that he was so glad that we have the New Testament because the God of the Old Testament, he said, is a jerk. Yikes. A proposed statement by our denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, a statement on interreligious commitment, names the complex relationship that we have with Muslims and Jews, our closest neighbors in the faith. That means that we have a particular responsibility to overcome inaccurate stereotypes and misunderstandings. So if we had a screen in this church, I would have the big word of the day up there called supersessionism. Supersessionism. It's the belief that because of Jesus, Christianity is now the improved new version of Judaism, even better than 2.0. And that leads to dialectics like these. The Old Testament is the law. The New Testament is the gospel. 
The Old Testament God is one of anger and violence, but thank goodness the New Testament God is one of love. Before Jesus, people made deals with God by keeping the commandments, but thank goodness for Paul and for Martin Luther that we are freed from the law. And you can see how the cleansing of the temple, today's gospel, could reinforce such thinking. Jesus is the table-turning prophet who is against the legalistic deal-making of Judaism and supersedes the old ways of worship and believing. Oh, if it were that simple. After all, the prophets in Israel railed against temple worship that ignored the poor, widows, and orphans. So a new hero of many people is Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine, who does a great service to us Christians in her books and lectures when she discusses the lazy and frankly anti-Semitic stereotypes that we pass on from generation to generation, rather unknowingly. For example, in recent decades, pastors like us have preached as if Jesus was the only open-minded feminist rabbi of his time to recognize women, or that the whole Jewish system was corrupt and backwards, or that Pharisees were 100% misguided. So I read this past week when Levine addressed a group of Lutherans in Billings, Montana. She suggested that Jesus' theory in the temple wasn't at the greedy merchants, perhaps. Rather, she wondered if Jesus was upset by people who spent their week sinning and then came to the temple, thought everything was okay by putting something in the uh, temple, the temple treasury. Is that any different, she wonders, from the inside trader or the loan shark today who comes to church, puts a 50 in the offering plate and thinks everything is keen between them and God. Which leads to the Ten Commandments in our reading. How many of you think that you right now, I'm looking at you, raise your hand if you think you could recite all ten. Oh, a, a young girl back there, I'm going to bring the microphone and be a talk show host. I'm not for sure, I might get all ten right, so I'm not going to make you either. But let's right now Talk frankly, okay? We're going to talk frankly about the law, the Torah. You see, Lutherans, we have kind of inside specific language, how we talk about law and gospel. We say, in our theological jargon, that the law reveals our sin, our need, God's demands. But that kind of comes out sounding like law is bad news and gospel is good news. But then we say things like, did you hear that? This is probably what we say in seminary, and maybe a couple of you on your way home after lunch. But we say things like, did you hear that sermon? It was all law, no gospel. And that's not a good thing for Lutherans to say. <laughs> but here's the thing for Jews. The law is more gift than demand. So the psalmist exclaims, oh, how I love your Torah. Oh, how I love your law. 
or the psalm refrain appointed for today, the commandments of the Lord give light to the eyes. Here's the thing. For Jews, they have different Ten Commandments, or the first one is different. The first one for them is actually not a commandment, but a word. It is pure grace. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is not let's make a deal with God, folks. This is not as if we're the only grace game in town. Obeying the commandments flows from a relationship with God. The law begins with grace. What follows is our response. And as I thought about this week, that this week I realized that's not that different from the way we talk about baptismal grace leading to the way we live. So here's the thing. I'm a little worked up today about this, kind of like Jesus in the temple. And what I'd like to suggest is that we lay down the law. In other words, the negative language about the law as heard through our Jewish siblings. Disparaging rhetoric about the so-called Old Testament and the subtle language about the superiority of Christianity. No, no, no big deal, Pastor, you may say. We are a progressive congregation. We welcome people of all religions and all persuasions. But my friends, that's the reason we need to re-examine our language and our assumptions. Things we don't even realize that we're saying. Ultimately, it doesn't come down to the art of the deal. It comes down to covenant. There are significant differences between Jews, Muslims, and Christians, yet we are all people of the covenant. We all trust in God's faithfulness and mercy. So even as Jesus cleanses the temple, this is our time for Lenten spring house cleaning. Perhaps our fasting, our prayer, our works of love will lead us to learn from people of other religions, including how they perceive what we think of them, even while we grow in our own understanding of Christianity. After all, we all live from grace. We all live from mercy. After all, we all live from the covenant. And with Jesus, we can burn with zeal, not only for the house of God, but for Muslims and Jews and all people created in the image of God. And all I can say to that is, what a deal.